Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of Behind the Ops podcast. In today's episode, we're lucky to have with us Kyle from Tulip. Kyle will be taking over the Behind the Ops podcast for the next season, so we just wanted to do a quick episode to introduce Kyle to everybody and so you can get to know him a little bit better. So, Kyle, can you tell us a little bit more what you do here at Tulip? Yeah, for sure. So, like Joe said, my name is Kyle Oberholzer. I recently graduated school from Northeastern University and I started working with Tulip about two years ago. I've been working on the hardware team here at Tulip. So, I work as the supply chain and manufacturing and mechanical engineer, basically making sure that all of our gateways, our edge MCs, our edge IOs, get made over in China to our specification with our custom PCB and bomb and brought over to the United States, as well as getting those things shipped out to our customers. So at Tulip, I've been really doing the whole gamut of manufacturing for a manufacturing company, which is really kind of fun. Um, We do use Tulip in our processes over there. I'll get into that in a little bit. But to touch a bit on my background, like I said, I graduated mechanical engineering. I did a lot of uh, different co-ops work experiences during college, as Northeastern students are wont to do. And through those, I saw a lot of different facets of manufacturing. You know, I saw a lot of different ways that things are made and a lot of different ways that I wanted to be able to make things better. As a mechanical engineer, I really wanted to know how stuff was made, right? I went into college being like, I know pretty much nothing about how to make things and I want to be able to design things and make things. But as that came through in practice and in progress, I was more like, well, maybe it's cool to spend an entire life on one bracket, or maybe it's cooler to go into supply chain and manufacturing and say, okay, cool, I need to buy a bracket. I need to know how to design that bracket. I need to know how to design the screws that go into it, the textiles that go around it, the painting that goes on top of it, everything that's part of this piece. I need to order, be responsible for, and design. And I think that's a really, really cool part of being in mechanical engineering, but also being in manufacturing and being the one that can actually get the things made that you want to design. That's great. And kind of going back a little bit further, can you share a little bit more about your background, your upbringing? You know, were you one of those engineers that spent all your time playing Legos as a kid? <laughs> and kind of, you know, a little bit of the background of why you chose to be an engineer. Oh, yeah. Bionicles were my Legos of choice, I do have to say. But if anything, I played a lot with Legos, but even more, friends and I would build stuff out of Lincoln Logs, build little town cities, towers and stuff. And then, of course, because we were children, make catapults and knock them all down. But I did always like following my dad around, following people around, just kind of seeing what they're doing, whether it's, you know, working on cars or building things with Legos or anything that peeks inside to how things work is just the really, really fascinating thing for me. Yeah, don't want this to be a Northeastern chill session, but it's awesome <laughs> to see another Northeastern graduate at Tulip. So for listeners who aren't familiar with co-ops, can you share a little bit about you know what are co-ops and for you specifically, what do you do for your co-ops? Yeah, yeah. So Northeastern really prioritizes these co-op rotations. Um, some other schools in the U.S. do it. Drexel, I know, has a great co-op program. Waterloo in Canada as well. But basically what this means is that throughout your time there, most students complete between one and three six-month co-ops. Co-op just being a differentiation from an internship in that a co-op is a full-time pseudo-entry-level position. So what that means is that while I was at school, I got to do these really, really cool, insightful placements at different companies with the scope and amount of responsibility that would actually let me get an idea of what it would be like to work there. 
So I worked in a custom lighting startup that did manufacturing lighting, um, which I found to be a really interesting field. You don't really think a lot about what's over your head, but when you're designing it, there's a lot of tiny little things you need to think about with in terms of lighting density and shadowing and different specs for different things. My second co-op was at a mid-scale manufacturer here in Massachusetts, where I was you know, working on the shop floor for things. I would be ordering custom parts, but then I'd also have to be able to go and assemble these custom parts on the floor before they could ship out. And then finally, I worked at another local startup, this time in the uh, fitness wear business. So this was getting a heart rate monitor made over in China, bringing that back over here. But the really cool part about that that I liked was that because this is something people are wearing, something that's really interesting about the consumer product space is everything you make has to be not only functional, but it has to look good. So I thought it was really, really interesting that one day I would be making new battery specs because our batteries were 5% underperforming from the standard and we needed to figure out why that was happening. And then I'd have to turn around and the next day be like, okay, well, what color swatches do we want for our new set of bands? What colors are in fashion right now? What materials are in fashion? How are we going to put Velcro on the thing? All stuff like that. So that was really fun because having this kind of breadth of experience is really what drove me to manufacturing. And by doing all these different things through this whole Northeastern co-op process, I was basically like, okay, cool. I know the kind of company I want to work for. I know the amount of involvement I want to do. And, well, most importantly to hear, I know that I want to be working with manufacturing primarily, uh, not just mechanical engineering. Yeah. And sorry, and the third co-op you did, what was that? Oh, that was a Whoop. Whoops are really cool. They're like, I always liked to joke when I worked there that it was like a Fitbit, but absolutely not. Because Whoop is a continuous heart rate monitor that monitors your heart rate, but then also does other stuff to essentially, at the end of the day, give you a number of how rested you are and how hard you worked out. So it's really geared towards professional athletes, people who train a lot, people who want to be able to maximize that amount of training because it's saying, hey, you need to work a little harder or hey, you can take it a little easy. You don't feel that good today. You need to rest more and all these kind of things. And they actually just released a new, this isn't a sponsored post, I promise, but they just released a new product, Whoop 4.0, I think, which has like pulse socks in it and all this other cool stuff. They're a neat company. Yeah, very cool. So yeah, it sounds like you got a pretty good panorama of the professional working world throughout the three co-ops you did. You mind sharing a little bit how these three experiences framed your decision to join Tulip? Yeah. So I guess just going in chronological order, the first place that I worked at this industrial lighting manufacturer, they were like relatively small. They were a startup. So I was doing a lot of stuff too, but mainly what I saw there was that once I made a design for, you know, however many hundred lights to go in the new warehouse for whoever company, there's going to have to be a applications engineer on the ground there for days provisioning all these lights setting them all up in their different zones and setting up their rules and they were somewhat tulip like because they were interesting they gave all of these controllable options to the user but their setup time was massive their setup time for their hardware was huge 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 and that was something that was really striking me as interesting like there are whole teams of people who all their job would be is to fly to a new facility spend a whole week putting all their lights on their network and doing everything and then fly to another facility. That's something that I've brought with me doing a lot on the hardware team here because hardware at scale is obviously a big problem for any hardware manufacturer, making sure something's going to work, but not only work, but it's going to work when you make 5,000 of them work in tandem and that you can get all those 5,000 up and running without taking weeks. 
At the second place, they were like a mid-scale manufacturer. They made testing equipment that was relatively large out in suburban mass. They were really interesting because they were a real you know, shop floor. I would order parts. They would be machined by the machinist. They would be run down the assembly line, fully assembled by the technicians. And we would have custom parts. They would have to go in and press in pins, check finishes, put things together, that kind of thing. And they were interesting because luckily they weren't like some of the customers we see at Tulip, where they weren't using everything on paper. They did have paper shop writers and things, but they were using this really, really old, really monolithic, I don't even remember the name, but it was some acronym, shop management system. And through that, uh, we tracked our hours, we tracked the hours on a project, we would like order materials for a project. And all of these like order statuses and us saying, oh, my part's in, I have to go down to the shop and uh, like screw the things together or whatever, all is in this gigantic platform that has the dashboard was like, you know, 30 buttons. And at the beginning, I was taught these are the two buttons, you know, and the rest of them you would never use. Even though when you click on those two buttons, it'll have five million fields. You have to fill out these two fields and then the rest of it uh, no one uses and people rarely even know what it does. That is an experience that I take to Tulip as well, saying like, good God, this is the stuff that people normally work with, right? Like these gigantic software platforms where there's so much stuff in there that is in there and that, you know, technically the company's paying for, but that nobody is using and people don't even understand. Those (laughs) software were insane. You got really good at knowing which buttons to click, but for the first couple of weeks, the learning curve was steep. Finally, uh, I did get to kind of land in this manufacturing role at Whoop at my last place. Like I said, I was making stuff over in China, making their previous device, the Whoop 3.0, I believe. But then also, like I said, I was doing a lot on their accessories, their Lux kits, their bands, things like that. And those were really, really fun because the problem of, okay, cool, I want to get gold, silver, and rose gold on a clasp. I am an engineer. I know how to make a drawing that calls out a plating spec. I know how electroplating works. I know that I have to call out two places where the the hooks will go in. But aside that, I don't really know how to get this made. So I had to, you know, call people in the local area, find plating manufacturers, get things made at places and quality check and revise and revise my drawings and my designs and call the people and work on the floor for them. That was really, really cool. Like I said, the whole reason I wanted to go into engineering from the start was to do stuff, to know how stuff's made. And this was from scratch. I have basically nothing. I need to produce a finished product in a box in, you know, four months or whatever, ready to sell. So yeah, if you see a Lux kit out there, Back in the day, in its nascence, those are the stuff that I did. Now they're a much, much bigger thing. But that was the main project that I helped to work on. And that was really cool. I liked doing that a lot. Cool. And so from what I collect, you're now moving into a new role at Tulip. Is that correct? Yeah. So I came, you know, out of school having just done this eight-ish month period where I was doing, you know, heavy manufacturing at a startup. I could put my hand in every pot that I wanted. And I was like, I like this a lot. I like making things. I like working in a small startup environment. I like having a lot of responsibility. But most importantly, I like making sure the product of what I'm doing is also something I can hold in my hand. And then Tulip comes along and Tulip says, hey, we're making a lot of gateways and light kits. And we are a software company, but a software company that is built on an understanding that we require hardware to function and that hardware is part of our DNA 
as Tulip. And I say, wow, that's really cool. I have a lot of stuff that I can learn here. I can, you know, do coding and electrical and everything else. But at the end of the day, I'm still going over to China and making these things happen, making these gateways come out of the production line. That was the original thing that brought me to Tulip. But the really interesting thing that I've found is that the more I stay at Tulip, the more I'm interested in the platform. I, you know, came in right out of college, so I can't say I really had a lot of responsibility or things that I was responsible for. So I wasn't really looking for Tulip as a platform to be like, hey, I need to be able to manage my shop. But I came into Tulip saying, hey, this looks like a really cool place to work. Their product seems really interesting. And having software that is so ingrained with hardware is a really, really neat corner case. But like I said, as I've been staying at Tulip more, I've been doing a lot more things. So recently, I've actually been moving over from the hardware team to the product team. So hardware team is currently producing Edge IOs. We're doing great. But I'm going to be moving over to the product team in the new role of the Digital Factory Program Manager. So what does that mean? It's a lot of words. Basically, Digital Factory is what we call our showroom space at Tulip. But because Tulip is a manufacturing platform, a frontline platform, our showroom needs to essentially be a mock real manufacturing space. So in the new office that we're moving to, our space is really big. And they're basically like, we need somebody who can take Tulip, develop Tulip, also develop all the demonstrations and the live data sources and the machines and everything else that we want to be there. And I was tapped for that role. So I'm finding it really interesting because... <laughs> We were joking that um, we find a lot of mechanical engineers either go ahead into heavy mechanical engineering or into product. So we either hyper-specify or we hyper-diversify, and I appear to be the latter. But at the Digital Factory, we're going to have a lot of really cool stuff. We're going to be doing live fermentation tank setups, and we're going to be having you know real machines running and getting real data on Tulip. And that's why I'm really excited, because it's basically, hey, we need to get cool stuff going in Tulip, make the thing that's doing this stuff. And I'll be able to touch a lot of different parts of the product that way, too. Oh, whoa. You said live fermentation. Sounds interesting. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah, it's the fancy way of saying we're making beer. We're going to be making beer. But it's important, you know, it's, it's, it's really neat because we're going to have to, you know, boil the wort, crash cool the wort, do these in a certain amount of time, be able to measure different amounts of ingredient that are going in so we can log recipes without even needing to do them. And then fermentation is a live active process that we'll need to be able to measure so that we know when we can put in different things based on the specific gravity and alcohol percent, you know, all that kind of stuff. Cool. So you mentioned hardware and gateways. So for listeners who aren't familiar for this component of the Tulip product offering, what are these devices? How are they used? And what accessibility do they provide? Why are they important? Yeah. So the main points that will be here is that there's input importance and there's output importance. So first, I want to talk about the input importance. Now, Tulip is, you know, at its core, at its heart, a platform that does stuff from inputs from the shop floor right? You connect your sensors, you connect your machines, you connect your data, you have your human inputs, your barcode scanners, your whatever, and you want to put that data into Tulip so that you can do stuff with it. Now, all of those connections for, you know, 90% of cases are done with Tulip hardware. We custom build hardware over in China. We have great electrical engineers who design the things. We make it over in China, bring it back over here, runs Tulip's custom OS, and it allows users to plug whatever they want into Tulip. Now, Edge.io, which we just released the beta, and the full release is coming very soon, is a fascinating piece. So it's just one box with a ton of ports. 
with a single edge IO, you can plug in your USB, your serial, you can plug in different GPIO sources like brake beam sensors and things if you want to trigger stuff based on real world reaching into pick bins or what have you. It's wireless, so you can control things like Zigbee lights and you can connect to your internet network. Um, and then one of the really cool things that came out with Edge IO now is that you can even do raw analog input. So with Edge IO, you can just take some Bridgeport steel mill that was built in 1935. It has no way to get data out of it. You take a current clamp, you put it on the plug to the wall, you just plug that right into your Edge IO, and you can see the waveform somewhat like an oscilloscope in Tulip. And you can, you know, do triggers and do stuff about it. So Edge IO really is a next step because not only is it doing what our hardware has been doing, which is connecting your barcode scanners, your machines, your things that are relatively smart and know how to output data. But now with analog sensing, we can also do anything that makes a signal, right? We can put a vibration sensor on any spindle that ever works and figure out when it's going to break. We can put a current clamp on anything that plugs into the wall and figure out when it's running, when it's not running, things like that. Now, the other hardware product that we offer is EdgeMC, and EdgeMC is a super tiny, super cheap version of EdgeIO. Uh, I like to describe EdgeMC as two wireless USB ports, where EdgeIO is this you know, fully featured, port-rich, crazy thing. EdgeMC, it's two USB ports, it's two Ethernet ports, and it's wireless. So you get this little guy, uh, you throw it anywhere in your factory, and then you just plug some sensors into it, and then you immediately instrument your setup. We have customers that buy EdgeMCs on the scale of like, yeah, we're going to buy, you know, 90. We're going to throw one on every single machine. And we're just going to have like some sensors hanging out there for, I don't know, vibration or what have you. And then all of those are going to feed back to Tulip. And it's done for a much lower cost than that would have cost otherwise, because EdgeMC is so small and so low cost. So the main hardware, the main edge devices, we call them that we offer are EdgeIO and EdgeMC. We do have a light kit which is essentially a powered repeater, a port bank for light strips for people who want to do things like pick to light setups. Light kits are just eight powered light strip ports, whereas Edge IO only has two. So you can control more strips through a light kit. And then we have, you know, a couple accessory offerings that come through things like our factory kit as well, which is just like a get started kit that has some neat little barcode scanners and lights and stuff that you can start learning how to use Tulip with. So we use Tulip to manufacture Tulip. So can you go into some detail about how we use Tulip to manufacture Tulips? You know, whether we use it overseas, where the hardware is manufactured, how we use it to track the products as they go through the supply chain. Paint the picture a little bit on, on how it's used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in our implementation, Tulip is a Salesforce terminal. It's like a point of sale system for users to be able to use Salesforce. So our inventory management is done in Salesforce. We have uh, our shipping that is also tracked at least through Salesforce. Uh, this is basically the database through which we track all of our hardware and all of our shipments. To that end, we were like, man, I really, really wish we could have insight into our manufacturing and production. I wish we could say, okay, this device has been produced, but it hasn't shipped yet. Or maybe this device has shipped, but it hasn't made it to Tulip yet. Or then we can you know, track inventory by saying, hey, how many things are at Tulip? So the apps that we have in China are really neat because they're really connector rich. They're really important for making sure that interfacing with this database, uh, A, doesn't require a Salesforce login by the users over there, and B, is done 
repeatedly and without considerable human error. What our assemblers do over in China is they assemble all of our devices, um, which, by the way, our assembly instructions are also made in Tulip, but that's mainly just nice and convenient. So they assemble all of our devices, and then at the end, they have to scan some things, and they want to be able to print a barcode, or I, rather, I want them to be able to print a barcode and then check the device out in Salesforce. So what they do is that they plug in the device. It shows a screen that the device is showing, is hosting, that displays their MAC addresses on a big QR code. And we want to have our MAC addresses on the outside of our box so that an IT system can easily whitelist MAC addresses in bulk without having to unbox it and power on everything. By scanning this MAC address QR code, our Tulip app does two things. First, it says, okay, I know my MAC addresses, I know my serial number, I'm going to look this device up in Salesforce, I'm going to say, hey, this thing's been produced, it's past final QA. And then two, it also interfaces with a Zebra printer. So we connect to a Zebra printer via the player serial driver in Tulip, and we send it custom Z code with these serial numbers and MAC addresses as uh, variables. And at the end of the day, the white label that you see on the outside of your Tulip gateway, your Edge IO, or your Edge MC box is procedurally generated from this step. So this way, on the outside of the box, I know we're going to have a sticker that has the right MAC addresses and the right serial number for every single thing. And I know this is happening because it's being done with the Tulip app. There's validation. If they scan the wrong thing, if the thing is bad, if the scan doesn't work, it's not going to go through. Uh, if they are trying to scan something that's already been checked out, it's going to bounce back and say, hey, Salesforce already has this at a different status. It's not going to work. It really allows me to be confident that the people who are doing stuff are doing it in a way that is repeatable, that is relatively error-proof, and that is very transparent. I can see with timestamps how many, you know, devices they've made per day and be like, oh, cool, we're at schedule, we're behind schedule, we are on track to ship out at XYZ date. And then the other thing that we use it for is once we get it in here, I made a really small Tulip app just to bulk ingress orders. Basically, Tulip makes it a little easier than the Salesforce bulk API, which is this massive thing to do batch change management in Salesforce. Uh, basically, we just get a big array of serial numbers when they arrive at Tulip. And Tulip just loops through all of them and says, hey, I'm going to update all of these to say they're at Tulip. And it's miles easier than trying to do this with the Salesforce bulk API or writing an app in, you know, Apex or something like that. Cool. So now, yeah, speaking a little bit about the digital factory, can you share the framework you're using for designing what we'll be showcasing, how visitors will be able to interact with the various demos? What can people expect when they come in to visit in the Somerville office? And yeah, what are you particularly excited about building in the next months? Yeah, yeah. First, all the demos are going to be, you know, live, real things. I don't want to have just some random way and dispense set up. I want to have a real way and dispense set up with real pipe headers, a real 96 volt plate, and a real Mettler Toledo scale. I want to have like real rocker tables for cell and gene therapy. I want to have real pick and place things. <laughs> Actually, the assembly, we're currently looking at augmenting with robotics as well. So we can even include like roboticized warehouse management and palletizing and things like that. But the part that is going to be the most interesting and that I think is going to be the most fun for me is when we start involving our customers, right? Like the number one coolest thing about working at a manufacturing platform company or for frontline operations company is that our customers are the ones making the cool things, not just us. Whereas in another company, they would say, okay, we want to get the coolest, shiniest, nicest things that we make, and we want to make them front and center, and we just want to show those. I'll be honest, the coolest, shiniest things that Tulip makes are, are great, 
and awesome, uh, but they're not going to take up square feet on a showroom floor because they're mostly going to be shown on the computer system. What's going to take up square feet on the showroom floor is this gigantic fermentation setup, or I want to even get like things from our customers like, hey, uh, you make really cool car parts. Can we get some of your car parts and put them in our place? Or, hey, you make really fancy jewelry. Can you get some of the uh, plating setups they use for your jewelry? We can show how people use it in practice because we know these people are using Tulip daily to do things in their operation. We know that Tulip has a shareability with the library and our community and our ecosystem. So why not leverage that for the digital factory? All the apps in the digital factory will be on our library so you can download them yourself to your own instance. But the main thing that I'm really excited for is getting this customer aspect. I wanna make sure that we have people, real people, real manufacturers saying, hey, this is the thing that I built with Tulip and this is how we can show you how it works so that when new people walk into the space, they don't have to say, hmm, I have to imagine how this is going to look on my shop floor. It's just there. It's apparent. It's this is how it looks on my shop floor. Just replace this drill assembly with a wrench assembly and then you're good to go. So another part of the role will also be hosting this next season of Behind the Ops. What are your objectives for being a new host? Can you share kind of what you're interested, what would be some of the, the guiding principles that you'll be using to guide these conversations? Yeah, I mainly want to know how people are making their cool stuff. Because I know that we have a lot of really, really interesting people using Tulip. And I think it's a bit reductive to only say, how are you using Tulip in your facility? Because that's something that we can get to by asking the broader question of, what are you doing that's cool? What's the thing that you as a manufacturing engineer or as a automation engineer or as a shop floor manager, supervisor, what's the cool stuff you're doing? And then, of course, we can talk about how Tulip goes into that. But... I'm really excited for this season to just make sure that we get new insights um, because I definitely believe in all cases, but especially in something as open-ended and as powerful as Tulip as a platform and as a toolbox for users to do what they want. Everybody's experience is going to be really different. Everybody's going to say, hey, I used Tulip to do this completely different thing that you didn't even think about. Or, hey, I needed to do these five new things, and it means that I turned Tulip into a XYZ system that we didn't even have yet. And we used it to make these 500,000 new parts, and now we're shipping them all around the world. That's the stuff that's really cool. So in this next season, I definitely want to make sure we're just focusing on how did you do the cool things that you do? And how did Tulip fit into there? Tell me more. Truly, it's just going to (laughs) be tell me more, because all these people are going to have really cool stories to share. And um, I'm really excited for that. Well, Kyle, it's been awesome having you here on Behind the Ops. I'm looking forward to listening to the next episode where you'll be on the other side of the microphone. Best of luck in the digital factory. I'm also looking forward to seeing that. And um, we'll catch you next time. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Behind the Ops is brought to you by Tulip. Connect the people, machines, devices, and systems used in your production and logistics processes with our revolutionary no-code frontline operations platform. Visit tulip.co to learn more. This show is produced by myself, Giovanni Carrara, and edited by Tom Obarski. If you enjoyed listening, one really easy way to support the show is to leave us a quick rating or even a review in iTunes as it really helps other folks find the show. If you have any feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can reach us at giovanni at tulip.co. Thank you for listening to Behind the Ops. We'll see you next time.